Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. You'll hear from the experts who know how to digitize and renew business models for better results, results in manufacturing businesses. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, hey, you already know this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. <clears throat> buzz is, is a quote from an article I found on Forbes.com from December 2019. All I'm going to do is read the headline of that article, and that will set us up. Then I'll tell you what we're going to be talking about. Listen up. Real-time data is the future of smart manufacturing. Okay, let that sink in. I've got a couple of buzzes in there. Smart, okay, we know talk about smart. Smart manufacturing, that's a good thing. The future of, we're looking ahead. And real-time data, oh my goodness. So let me tell you what we're really talking about. <clears throat> Businesses today, including factories, and actually across the whole supply chain, can now capture unparalleled amounts of data to create exciting, a digital twin of assets, facilities, and things. And things, I'm putting those in quotes because they're known as intelligent assets. How is this all possible? The cost of IoT, Internet of Things sensors, is plummeting. That means more sensors, lower cost, more data. What's the impact? Leading companies are leveraging these intelligent assets to drive new business models that let them move from responsive to predictive. That's a good thing. Think about it. Not responsive, not reactive, predictive, and even prescriptive maintenance modes. You don't want your factory going down. You don't want machinery failing on the spot with no plans for repairing it or replacing it. You want to keep everything humming. And these companies can also move away from selling products to delivering a service. That's the way the world is going. And they can view their physical assets as business assets. If this is news to you, well, it shouldn't be, but we're going to help this, let this sink into your minds. Our panel today of experts will share their insights on the role of intelligent assets in enabling and driving digitization and Industry 4.0 across organizations like yours all over the world. So I am Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let me tell you my three panelists are, and then I'll ask each of them to introduce themselves briefly, and then we'll move on. So in a moment, you'll be hearing an introduction from Marty Groover at C5MI. Then we will meet Martin Stenzig at Rising, R-I-Z-I-N-G, and then Patrick Crampton Thomas at SAP. Gentlemen, welcome. Marty Groover, you're up first. Please tell everybody briefly what do you do? What is C5MI? Marty. Yeah, good morning. So Hi. I'm a retired uh, Navy officer, and for 22 years I did maintenance and used SAP in the Navy. Then I uh, retired and went to work for Caterpillar and did manufacturing, used SAP there, and did a lot of maintenance on, on machinery inside of factories. So for me, it was a passion. I uh, started my own business a couple years ago, C5MI, and, and now I help customers implement these smart intelligence asset tools to really drive down downtime, provide visibility, and, and create that digital twin you just discussed for those assets. And we really see the future of maintenance changing because of these new tools and, and the uh, intelligent assets. So I'm glad to be on the panel. Thank you, Marty. Quick question. Can you define digital twin, please? There's a lot of different <laughs> terms for digital <laughs> twin, but for me, a digital twin for a piece of machinery is Everything that that machine does, I have it digitized, and I can tell you how it's running. I can pull the sensor data off from it. Even 3D models of that tool would be a digital twin that I could use for maintenance, 
to troubleshoot it and to uh, drive condition-based monitoring on it. Thank you. It sounds exciting, Marty. Thank you so much for joining us. By the way, Marty has been on some of my SAP Game Changers radio shows in the past, and we're delighted to have you back. And now let's move one seat around the table to Martin Stanzig at Rising. Martin, please introduce yourself. What do you do, and what is Rising? Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, Rising is an SAP system integrator. Um, at Rising, I am the chief technology officer. In that role, I focus on innovation. So for us, innovation is is not ideating the new Facebook or you know, any other, you know, uh, big ideas, but it's more the combination of latest and greatest technologies with our subject matter expertise in order to generate real business value to the customer. So for us, it's all, you know, real stuff that we can apply today, not the things that might happen 20, 20 or 30 years from now. Before that, um, before becoming the CTO at Rising, I ran the North American practice for enterprise asset management at Rising. So I have a real-life experience as to what customers are faced with and, and challenged with these days. Thank you very much, Martin. Pleasure to have you on. Let's move one more seat around the table to a gentleman who sent me a picture of him in in fatigues in a, it looks like a World War II aircraft. And just before we started the show, I asked him, his name is Patrick Crampton Thomas, with a hyphen between those two last names. I asked him if he was in the plane today, and he said, no, he wishes he were. Well, Patrick, welcome. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at SAP? Go ahead, Patrick. Hey, Bonnie, thanks. Yes, so Patrick Cranston-Thomas. So I'm, I'm uh, the head of our digital assets line of business uh, in solution management at SAP. Um, so I've been here about 15 years, and through that time and my previous industry experience, I've always worked in supply chain area, be it manufacturing, logistics, et cetera, and then also, uh, you know, maintenance and asset management. So, And, uh, yeah, so I work for SAP. I'm based out of London. Um, I'm not a pilot, but that particular picture I sent you was uh, – I got a flight, uh, it was something I bought for charity for in a World War II fighter plane, so that was uh, quite an experience, and uh, um, so that's what that was about. It's quite an experience. And, yeah, and quite... SAP, yes, go ahead. Yeah, it was a hell of an experience. It was a hell of an experience, and uh, in fact, they had two of us, we were doing dogfights and things, so <laughs> pretty good. But, uh, and then I work for SAP, and my focus is digital assets, and it's about trying to bring our customers from the the traditional world of SAP, where we optimize transactions, et cetera, into the new world of more more intelligence, more data-driven business processes. Thank you very much. Okay, let, now we've got an introduction from our panelists. Each of my panelists has sent me a, a quote, an opening quote, from a famous or not-so-famous person, a movie, a book, a song. And I'm going to ask them very briefly, let's keep this down to about a minute and a half each, to relate the quote you each picked to our topic today. We're talking about intelligent assets. And if you're just tuning in, by the way, this is Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise Radio. And our topic is the role of intelligent assets. Assets. So that's what we're talking about. If you didn't get that message, a welcome to our audience around the world. Marty Groover sent us a quote from Jocko Willink, Willink, W-I-L-L-I-N-K, John Gretton, nicknamed Jocko Willink, 1971 birthday, young man, retired American Army, a Navy officer, served in the Navy SEALs team. He's also a podcaster and author. So here is the quote. Marty, briefly tell us what this means for our topic. Discipline equals freedom. Okay, Marty, you're up. Yeah, so that uh, came from a 2015 book, which I really loved, called Extreme Ownership. And I've met Jocko before I had him when I was at Caterpillar out to speak to us. He's a pretty inspirational leader. But for me, 
when you look at discipline equals freedom, when you talk about asset management and inside these factories, that kind of discipline that these tools can bring does bring you freedom. It gives you freedom from quality defects, um, labor um, efficiencies improve, and overall business outcomes improve by incorporating that type of discipline into uh, into a system. So I, I truly believe in that. I think it's a, a powerful uh, term. Absolutely. And it's an interesting term in terms of we're talking about factories, we're talking about supply chain discipline. I don't think people think of that as freedom. They think of it as, ooh, Marty, I'm going to say the word shackles or restrictions. Discipline in a, is a good thing. When you have all these intelligent assets, doesn't that give you more freedom, more information, more as we're talking about real-time data that, that frees you up to see things a different way, which was mentioned in my introduction? What's your thought on that, Marty? Yeah, absolutely. The freedom that you get from all the uh, all the misery and non-productive work that you have to do to try to get that data, it, it allows you to free your time up to really solve problems instead of just uh, chasing data. Thank you very much. And by the way, Jocko Willink hosts a weekly podcast with Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner Echo Charles called the Jocko Podcast. I have to find that and tune in. Thank you, Marty. Martin Stensig, moving around the table. Martin has sent us a quote from the 1986 comedy film, film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And if you haven't seen it or don't know about it, go look it up. Uh, it starred Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller, a high school slacker. You all know what slacker is. Ah, he doesn't want to go to school. Skip school for a day in Chicago. And he breaks the fourth wall, the, the theatrical fourth wall, to explain what his inner thoughts are to the audience. So here's the quote. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Martin, talk to me. How does this relate to our topic? Yeah, I think I'm going to keep it light, uh, but at the same time, it's very applicable to what we're seeing in the industry. So with the pace of, of technology changing at an immense rate, companies, we find, are busy running their day-to-day business. But with the rapid change in technologies, they're challenged to stay competitive if they don't stop and adopt some of those technologies. So as we said, you know, sensors are coming along. Um, we're finding a lot of companies having a lot of sensor data available, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know they have 200 sensors. Um, you know, they might look at one because they really don't know how to take the other 199 and combine them into a picture that actually makes sense. So, again, um, recommendation from that side is stop, think, um, analyze, and see what should you do with everything that you have already rather than waiting for the next shiny toy and and just keep racing along. Amen. Words to live by. Thank you very much, Martin. Appreciate that. Patrick Crampton Thomas has a three-word quote. It's the SAS model from the British service British Special Air Service, and I'm going to give the quote in a couple of other languages before I give it in English, Patrick, so bear with me here. Latin is qui audet adepiscitur, Italian is chi osa vince, Portuguese is chem osa vence, German is wer wacht gewinnt. I hope that uh, Martin doesn't think I really botched that one too much. And uh, let's see, we have a whole bunch of others. But the quote is, who dares win? And I'll tell you what the humorous version is after you explain it. So who dares win? Go ahead, Patrick. How does that relate to our topic? So... Actually, I mean, apart from just liking that quote for, for what it stands for and the people behind it, um, I think in, in, in the world today, we're, we have moved beyond this kind of plan what I do and then do it. And I think com- people need to push the boundaries and take more risks and experiment more 
you know, we, we actually don't know what we're going to do with new technology. Sometimes we, we have no idea how it's going to help us until we try different things. So to me, it's about uh, trying and potentially failing often, but obviously, um, you know, hoping for some successes along the way and pushing the boundaries beyond your comfort zone. I think uh, with new technology out there, if we don't do that, actually, then we won't find out what that technology can do for us. Mm-hmm. It, it brings it all back to humans, doesn't it, Patrick? Who is in leadership? Who is in a role who can say, we've got to dare to dip our toe in that pool, that pond, go, go up in the air in that fighter jet and say, what is up there? What is it all about? We have to take chances. It, we try to take, we're talking about technology on most of these Game changer shows, but we try to bring it back to the people side. By the way, Patrick, I don't know if you're aware, this was credited to SAS founder David, Sir David Sterling, but the members of the SAS, the British Special Air service often corrupted it to say who cares who wins did you know that actually i didn't but uh, that sums <laughs> them up i guess right? <laughs> there, there you go i just had to add that thank you gentlemen for your quotes you know what we're not going to take a break we're going to move dive headlong here into your into the roundtable portion of the show you have each very graciously and generously sent me your thoughts your your discussion statements for this part of the roundtable the actual roundtable of the show so marty groover i'm going to start with your first statement and then we're going to have you explain it for about two minutes and i'm going to invite Martin and Patrick to chime in with their thoughts on it, and then we'll pick a statement from Martin and one from Patrick, and just keep going around the table delivering a lot of thought leadership insights to our worldwide audience. So Marty Groover told me the following. He says, Industry 4.0 is a deep and wide subject that companies struggle to understand. Let me stop there, Marty, and why don't you give us the quote-unquote lay of the land on what the current status is of this understanding and why is it a struggle? Go ahead, Marty. Well, Industry 4.0 first is a term that, you know, came from the, the Germans. They started it as a, a government sort of mandate on how to, in, you know, automate factories. But it's been used as a buzzword so much that it, it's lost its meaning. And, and when you go talk to customers, they're like, yeah, we need to do something. But it's not like they understand where do I start? How do I build that the layers that I need um, to automate things and really drive um, business outcomes? And this is where a lot of times we talk to customers, let's not talk about technology, let's talk about capabilities. What business capabilities do you need? And then what's going to improve your business outcomes? Because it's not the same for any one business. And then when you look at the architectures, the IT architectures and the operational technology architectures of business, there is no one answer. You have to really Mm -hmm. go in and create a roadmap. So it's an interesting uh, question that they struggle with. Thank you. Very interesting. Let's go. Well, this is a reality check, Marty. Martin Stanzig, join us. Your observation, do companies also struggle to understand the companies you work with, companies you meet? Uh, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, I think mm. the, the biggest challenge is that, you know, companies these days don't even know what the goal should be because it's moving so quickly. But I completely agree with the, with the notion that senior leadership, I think, um, needs to sometimes stop and, and bring somebody in that sort of can have the time like us to to sort of keep an eye on on the market to see what's even possible. Um, and I think um, companies, you know, in line with what Patrick and, and Marty said, sometimes aim too low. Uh, we, we're, we're seeing companies wanting to do stuff that we could do in the 1990s or the 1980s, and they think that's innovative. Um, but if you only jump that far, what it will get you is 
that will get you to 2000 that we're in 2020. So, so that's what we're seeing as well. So couldn't, couldn't agree more with, with Marty's statement. Thank you. I love a provocative statement to start the roundtable, Marty. Patrick, let's get you to weigh in on this, please. Thoughts? Who's struggling? Are they? Is it real? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have a whole mix of maturities across different industries and use cases, you know. So, I mean, Industry 4.0 per se or uh, within the shop floor, I mean, shop floor have been connected and using sensor-based technology for years. So it's not that it's necessarily new, but I think it's what you're trying to do with it. The level of automation changes. But for me, also in the asset maintenance area, which I'm responsible for, then it's it spreads into other industries, non-manufacturing industries like utilities, for example, um, you know, so now we have not, it's not just industry 4.0 for manufacturing, it's industry 4.0 for assets. And then you can take that further. You can get into industry 4.0 for customer, uh, and, and different scenarios. So it's really spreading, um, uh, beyond, beyond its original sort of scope of the shop floor, as it were. Uh, and therefore, yeah, there's whole different levels of maturity and companies, are, you know, want to embrace it, but don't necessarily know how to or what they can get from it. Interesting. Marty Groover, anything you want to add to that conversation? I loved, as I say, I love a provocative statement, and you certainly started us off with that. Any other thoughts on that? No, I, I agree with what uh, Martin and Patrick said. I mean, it's just the maturity level that you have to deal with, and there's just so much opportunity out there to improve our, uh, really, the value of our life by improving the, the reliability of equipment. Opportunity's huge. Thank you very much. Martin Stanzig, I'm moving. Bonnie. Yes, go ahead, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bonnie, I would I would chip in a little bit, actually. I think sure. when you consider that level of maturity and all the different use cases that could cover from all different industries, then I think one one thing that really will help companies is if they watch what other people are doing, which I think uh, I think Martin mentioned anyway. So, you mm. know, if you can learn from other industries, you know, there will be some, maybe it's oil and gas, maybe it's logistics or transportation, you know, and they might be experts at certain aspects of leveraging Industry 4.0 that could then be transferred to different scenarios in different industries. Patrick, you just made a public service announcement, and that's why we're doing this show, so people will know. Hey, everybody, wake up, look outside the windows, look outside the walls, and see what other companies and other industries are doing, and you might learn and advance yourself along that maturity curve. Great point, Patrick. Thank you. Martin Stanzig, I'm looking at the notes you sent me before the show. I want to dive into statement number one. Uh, let's get into where this data is all coming from. You say, Industry 4.0 provides a wealth of opportunities to improve operational efficiencies. Okay, we've already established that. Here's what I want to talk about. Sensors in equipment such as motors, conveyors, transformers, and scales in production lines, utility networks, and even locomotives provide that wealth of data that can analyze and feed into machine learning models. Machine learning models, there's a term we want to talk about, to increase production, decrease downtime, and make overall work safer. All great goals. Martin, please unpack this, as they say on the new shows. Where are these sensors? Is this IoT? Is this IIoT? Is every factory using sensors now? Give us the lay of the land, please. Well, the, the the reality is that most of these new equipment that we are receiving into our factories, into our locomotives, into our you know our transformers come with sensors equipped. And you just need to to um, link them up and actually utilize the data. So we have we have a wealth of of information that we can collect. What we're not doing well right now is to use all of those informations in the equipment itself or in the bigger system. So if you have an you know if you have a motor as part of a conveyor. 
Uh, you might have sensors on the conveyor, on the overall conveyor systems as well as on the motor to then, you know, derive outcomes or, or you know, essentially predict what's happening, you know, t- five to ten minutes from now. We can do that. We can do that with um, equipment that we're latching onto power lines in order to figure out what, you know, how much uh, voltage and amperage the motor is pulling. So all of those things are there. We haven't done a good good job in the past of sort of analyzing that. And frankly, the computer power wasn't there to do that real time or in time. So what we have now is with the technology, with sensors, but also with the computer power necessary, we have the capability of analyzing that and then making use of that information, that that knowledge that you know something will happen. So I better I better preempt you know a failure of the line so I don't have production outages. So this machine learning thing, you know, that everybody is talking about, um, is becoming more and more popular, and we're seeing a big drive into it um, because the cost of it has lowered um, and the capabilities have increased dramatically. Thank you very much. Good to know. Patrick, let's get you in on this. Thoughts on what Martin just shared? No, I, th- I think it's absolutely the case. And, but, and, uh, you know, there's a, a few aspects to it, though. I mean, a lot of brownfield assets are out there. You know, a lot of companies, utilities and heavy process industries, oil and gas chemicals, they have tons of brownfield assets, too. And, of course, these are not yet necessarily censored, enabled. Um, but there the opportunity is, do you retrofit sensors? Because sensors are so cheap now. I mean, you can buy them on Amazon, actually. I mean, seriously, you could even go what? to Amazon and buy a little sensor kit for a few bucks, right? And uh, what? connect it. To are you something. serious? So, you know, you, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You can buy little sensor kits, you know, and uh, and so on and get them online very easily. Um, but but so actually retrofitting sensors is now is, is viable from a cost point of view. Um but it's a complicated business, right? And I think one of the other issues is, although a piece of equipment might be sensor-enabled, often those sensors were fitted for one purpose or, or you know, a particular purpose, which might have been to automate and manage the process, right, the manufacturing process, for example, and not necessarily to uh, trigger maintenance. You know, so in the maintenance, I might need different uh, sensors. Maybe it's vibration instead of uh, uh, revolutions or something like that. So, uh, so there is a hu- huge amount of, uh, of uh, data out there, and uh, I think the opportunity for sensors on brownfield is, 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 is obviously a challenge. And making sure you've got the right sensors fitted for the right use cases is, is, a, is a challenge too. Interesting. Is there such a thing, uh, Martin, is a specialist in getting the right sensors? Are there people on, the, on an assembly line or at a factory who are the IoT specialists who say, okay, go on Amazon now and buy, uh, buy sensor number ABW942-W because that's going to work on this motor versus not the W1, the X1 is going to work on that motor and don't get them mixed up, damn it. Is there somebody who's, I, I didn't even know you could buy these. Who gets to pick the sensors? Go ahead. Talk to me. So, so the, the, the simple answer is yes. Um, there, are, <laughs> there are people in facilities, and usually in a, in a company, we are usually um, talking to the plant engineer um, that knows the, the equipment, knows the sensors, and knows how to wire the sensors up to a centralized uh, data, what's usually called a data historian. Uh, essentially, think of it like a black box that collects um, real-time data and allows the business systems, uh, like SAPs and others, to then consume it in a in a sort of an easy fashion. But that's sort of what what uh, the plant engineer does, and and he, he or she usually has um, a variety of companies that they're working with in order to sort of to get the electrical part all done. 
Now, in the past, 10, 15 years ago, when we started doing things like that, it was usually, you know, you had to string a wire in order to get the central data then hooked up to a box and the box mm-hmm. to that system. These days, um, you have wireless technologies. And as Patrick said, you know, you can get you know, sensors in all kinds of forms. It really depends on, to, to Patrick's point, what you want to measure, how you want to measure it, and how you tie that back into what, the outcome that you want to achieve. So um, heat sensors are, are usually good to figure out, you know, do I have varying problems? Um, inflow, outflow operational um, sensors we can utilize as well to, to figure out whether or not, you know, pump has and power problems. Those are, those are concrete examples of um, new but also existing sensors that we can utilize in order to, to use uh, to do an asset assessment um, mm-hmm. along the line of the production line or the particular equipment. Thank you. Patrick, you have been summoned. You have been mentioned. Why don't you chime in on sensors and engineering those sensors and where they go and who gets to put them and how effective they are. Patrick, thoughts, please, observations? Yeah, yeah. So I think, like I say, it's to me it's about having the sensors in the right place for the particular use case and that we see engineers having even uh, walking around with, uh, for example, vibration sensors that they can attach to to devices, you know, so if you've got ground field equipment, you can actually walk around, and, uh, you know, rotating equipment and put uh, the sensor on it. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, it's like I said, I think it's about having the right sensors for the right use case. They are definitely affordable now, but there's a whole new range of skills and obviously technical skills needed to, to, to um, if you want to go down that retrofit route. But new mm-hmm. assets typically are pretty well enabled with sensors uh, these days. Thank you very much. Marty Groover, join us. Thoughts about sensors and all that data pouring in. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's great having all that data. But I think the key thing is the, is the intersection of failure mode analysis. And that's, the, for me, the power of reliability center maintenance utilizing these tools is you have to understand the failure mode that you're looking for. And then these sensors, the power of them come in. And you really drive that machine learning as a continuous plan, do, check, act loop. And that's where when we go out to a customer, anybody can put technology in. And a lot of times there's tons of data already there. It's just not connected. And if if you're not really thinking about a failure mode and how it's going to affect the criticality of that piece of equipment to your whatever process, just think of your car, you know, failure mode for your brakes, how critical that is. And, you know, if you look at all the sensors, and I think automotive these days, it's amazing the amount of sensors. I had a BMW where the, the service guy called me and said, Mr. Groovy, your car is going to slow down here soon because there's a frequency in your water pump that's causing a problem. It's okay to turn it off and turn it back on, and we've got you set up to go to the dealership. That was all based off failure modes and sensors. It was amazing. I was like, wow, no wonder I buy a BMW car. But going forward, the reliability and the speed of retail is going to hit the speed of manufacturing, and you're going to have to have 100% reliability on its machinery because of the automation that Industry 4.0 is going to drive. So all these things we're doing with sensors not only drives the manufacturing process or whatever process you're doing it, but it's almost a live system on top of it, condition-based monitor system that monitors all these actions and um, the critical processes to understand if that equipment's going to fail um, before it fails. 
Marty, we've heard about this in the past couple of years on various Game Changer shows about the day will come when you will get a message in and from your car that you need to go to Bob's service station, which is 1.2 miles up the road on exit 92 see next to the mcdonald's and they have a belt waiting for you because the belt on your something or other in your i'm not a car person is about yeah, to fail happened to it happened to you what, what, what was it was it a voice in the car was it a text message what, what how did it tell it you actually it, it came through the cellular system through the speaker in the vehicle yeah. the bmw has a concierge service and they could tell what was going on with the vehicle and already had a part for me um, up the road at the Bowling Green, Kentucky uh, BMW. So I pulled in there. They changed the water pump out, and I was back on my way. Imagine that. I, I mean, imagine in the day. I, I can't. I, I absolutely can't. I'm, I'm, I, you just stopped the show. I'm sorry, Marty. That is, that is what we thought was going to be pie in the sky, dreaming, fiction, maybe someday, someday in the future, 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 future. And you're telling me it's here. Wow. Let me just quickly go around the table for a second before we go on with, with our, our conversation here. Um, Martin Stenzig, are you, have, has this happened to you? Are you aware of this? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I have, uh, and, and he raised, Marty raised a great point, because we're yeah. finding it very, very often where you're watching one of these TV shows and you're thinking that, oh, this is this is sort of like, you know, just a vision and they're mocking it up. And then, you know, the next day you're sort of coming across something where you say, uh, we can't actually do this today for our customers. Best example is always, I always bring the Uber example, where uh, Uber or, you know, uh, the pizza, pizza delivery services that are all showing you um, you know, who is there, who is coming and bringing your pizza, when are they going to be there, why are they late because they're stuck in traffic. Our customers and, and companies today, um, when they are dealing with their customers, their customers just have the exp- expertise, well, the ex- not the expertise, but the expectation that, you know, every company does it that way. You know, when you order anything today yes. or when you have a, a service technician showing up, it's not good enough to say, oh, we're coming sometime tomorrow and uh, the technician might call you or might not call you before your show is up. Today, the, ex- ex- uh, the expectation is, I want to see a, a picture of the technician. I want to know where he or she is. Um, I want to know exactly when they are there. And, and I think it's a reasonable expectation, but that is sort of where technology has just set new, um, yeah, new expectations in the market. Um, and yeah, it ties back into we can tell now where a technician is from his GPS location. Um, we know, you know, what the traffic situation is on the street that he's on. Um, you know, we know what the, what what my system is like, whether or not the power mm-hmm. is out. We're working a lot with utilities. So all of those things are just, you know, expected these days. And, and sometimes uh, you will actually be, be amazed um, what little automation uh, we have behind the scenes in order to, to make it work. Leading companies have the automation. Lagging companies are struggling sort of to catch up and and keep up with everything that's possible today. Thank you. I'm I'm still amazed. Patrick, you want your thoughts on it? Do you have a car that talks to you about maintenance and where you should be in the next uh, next fourteen point three miles to get your your water pump fixed? Any thoughts on that, Patrick? No, I I buy British, so uh, or, or is it Indian <laughs> these days? I'm not quite sure. But um, you know what I really like about that example, though, is I think, I mean, firstly, they've packaged all this technology that from an end user is so simple, right? You just get a message. And so that's really cool. 
But uh, it, the other thing behind the scenes, you know, in the past, you, you know, you, you would have got a maybe an alert, right? And what they've done behind the scenes there is very cleverly integrate that alert into a business process, which wasn't just mm-hmm. BMW and the customer, it even involved a third-party dealer, right? So, mm-hmm. so they, they very cleverly integrated the alerts from the data analysis into a business process that, you know, sent an instruction to the customer. So, so I, I like that. I mean, you know, we are seeing a lot of companies uh, trying to offer, offer collaborative uh, value-added services based on this type of data, right, around maintenance and so on. I can mm-hmm. maintain your assets for you, or I can sell you an asset as a service. I'll monitor its performance for you so that we meet certain service levels, etc. Um, so this topic isn't just inside the four walls of a factory. You know, this is about, it's, it's also about how, how I, uh, you know, in Industry 4.0 is operating across uh, networks and, and business boundaries. Thank you. Marty Groover, look what you did by mentioning your car. Look look at where we went with this conversation. We went off-road. We got right back on. Thank you very much, Marty. (laughs) I want to move on to uh, a topic here. I I mentioned to you I love to get into the people part, the human part, the who is in these companies, who's controlling, who's engineering, who's looking, who's reporting, who's looking for, who's daring. Patrick, who's daring to win? And Patrick, I'm looking at your first statement you sent me, and I'm going to pick apart a little bit and ask you to go here. You say, on the technology front, this is what we've been talking about, new capabilities such as Internet of Things and big data offer opportunities to increase the real-time intelligence about an asset's status and health. Okay, in many companies. Now, here's where I like to go. You say, however, this is a challenge where IoT data is distributed and is it in a form difficult to integrate into business systems and processes? Companies also lack the skills to work with this type of data, needing a shift from engineering skills to data scientist skills. Let's talk about the people part, the integration. What form is the data? Do people know what to do with it? Because it doesn't provide actionable insights, as we like to say, Patrick, until somebody figures out what to do with it and who are these people. So, Patrick, why don't you take us into this direction, please? Yeah, so, I mean, what we see is a shift. Uh, we, we have a, a whole ton of engineers in, the, in, in our customers who are maintaining their assets, and, you know, they have 10, 20, 30 years' experience. You know, they can stand in front of a pump, or they could tell you it's going to fail next week, you know, because they can hear it. But... Um, in this kind of new world where actually you're getting data, which is, you know, you couldn't even hear, right? It, 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 and, it, and it's predicting maybe two months out instead, um, perhaps from vibration analysis or something like that. You know, it's, it's now bringing in the, the, the need to process that data. So now we have data science type skills. And that's a completely different skill set. And in most companies, I mean, that's not in the field. You know, that's, that's a back office function if they have it at all. Um, you know, data scientists are quite expensive people, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's a definite sort of skill shift. And, a, and, a, and we also have an aging population from an engineering perspective. And all that wealth of experience that we have it potentially is going to leave our businesses. And so somehow we need to digitize it and capture it. You know, the, the, um, I, I wasn't sure you mentioned earlier, but the reliability-centered maintenance processes. You know, one, one company that I... Uh, you know, I was talking to you recently, they, they established an RCM process, and one of their main drivers actually was that uh, people leaving the business, and they needed to capture all of that intelligence around maintenance. So, so this, uh, anyway, so I, I think there's a, a skill shift going on. 
Um, and actually, we need to blend those two worlds, right? We need to blend the world of the, the operational engineer who's out in the field with his mobile device fixing something with the, the data science and analytics world, uh, which is actually turning that data. We're all data rich, right? But we're information poor. Is trying to turn that data into into usable information. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Great conversation. Great topic here. Marty Groover, please join us. Thoughts on what Patrick just shared? Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. If you look at the demographics of people that are are doing the maintenance these days, there is a lot of tribal knowledge that's going to walk out the door. And I think the key to these tools, these new tools, just what Patrick said is how do you codify them digitally? into a system and, and take that knowledge and be able to transfer it. And a lot of companies are struggling even to get um, maintenance technicians that understand how to work on equipment. So these tools that we're going to put in place are going to allow remote monitoring and things like that. It will allow us to extend the workforce and really drive um, productivity um, to the people that have the, the expertise. And I think Industry 4.0 is going to be an interesting time for maintenance because the the maintenance technicians now are going to have to understand the manufacturing process. It's going to be all automated now. So not only will they have to know how that equipment works, but how it's supposed to work in whatever uh, field it's in. So it's really going to change the knowledge that is needed um, for that, that group of maintenance, even automotive maintenance right now are struggling to get people um, to be able to work on vehicles. It's, it's, it's a whole new world out there. that's going to require a lot more of this technology to help drive, um, just go pull this out and replace it sort of maintenance instead of true troubleshooting because the, te- you know, the people just don't have the, the knowledge to do it. Marty, does this open up a whole new range of jobs? Uh, are colleges helping students prepare, vocational schools helping them prepare? Is this a no data? We talked about uh, on, on some of our other shows, we talked about citizen data scientists, and Patrick said they can be very expensive. Uh, we had we did a show where it was uh, analysts by day and citizen data scientists by night. What are they wearing when they leave their job and they're taking <laughs> this other job on? So my question is, is this opening up an exciting new field of expertise where kids and people who are re- reskilling, retraining, coming out of one job and going to another saying, yes, I want to be that person who knows how to deal with this IoT sensor produced real-time data. I have a new career ahead of me. And, and Marty, why don't you answer that? We're going to go around the table and see what everybody says. But what do you think? Is this a new exciting opportunity in Industry 4.0 for a new job category? I, I believe so. Operational technology is going to be uh, the forefront on this. And, and I think the digital natives uh, the millennial groups are are poised um, to take this on. I've seen a lot of great things once I put data in the hands of those people. So I do think that there will be a, a whole new skill set of, of leveraging that IoT technology. Thank you very much. Let's move around to Martin Stanzig. What do you think about this skills deficit? What do you see? Um, two things. Um, one, I completely agree with, with Patrick and Marty as far as we need data scientists. We need more of them. And we need that, that intersection of data scientists understanding the operational setup so to make sense of the data. Because just, just being a data scientist and, and sort of looking at large swaths of data without the, the business context will not help you either. But what we've found is with millennials specifically is, you know, everybody, is, <laughs> everybody sort of sometimes makes fun of them. Um, is that um, 10 years ago, we as an industry had big challenges with change management. Um, you know, we, we 
we essentially fought people to adopt new technologies. The great thing with millennials and, you know, they're, they're growing up with iPhones, new apps every other day is that, you know, they're not afraid of change anymore. Uh, you can put a new app in front of them. You can put a new process in, in front of them. And they usually adopt very, very quickly. So it, it's great to see that we finally sort of have overcome this. We're still struggling, obviously, with a, with a change in skill sets, as, as we said before. But the good news is that, you know, the, the change mentality that we've, that we've longed for for 20 years is finally there where we can, we can sort of, you know, switch um, and iterate much, much quicker. Um, back to Patrick's point of failing fast, sometimes, yes, we're failing fast, but you know, let's fail fast, not slow, which we've done mm-hmm. in the past. So um, I think we're on a, on a good trajectory. Um, is there more technical skill set needed in the industry? Absolutely. I think we're, um, nobody wants to become a technician anymore. Everybody wants to become you know, a data scientist. We still need technicians. And we also have the technologies to make it easier and better for technicians these days, which we can talk about later. But all in all, I think, um, um, I think two or three things. A, um, I think we're better better equipped for the change that is ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. B, we need more more education. And C, data scientists. If you want, if you want to bank on a job, data science is is there to stay, and uh, it's job security for the next twenty or thirty years, I believe. Twenty or thirty years. Oh my! Oh my! Oh my! Look ahead. Wow, Patrick, you started this very robust and interesting conversation. Anything you want to add to your co-panelists about it before we move on? No, I, I think, you know, the only, I would use some examples, which is we're never going to have everyone as a data scientist. So it is about how do we package up these, uh, you know, things like Industry of Water Zero so that the end user can use it. I mean, I have a lawnmower at home that cuts my grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a robot, and it tells me on my phone when it's broken. This is a true story, by the way. And rather than me have to take this thing in and get it repaired, uh, they simply sent me the motor and a video of how to, and I fixed it myself. So, so that's just a good example, I think, where you know you need to package up through applications or whatever um, this technology in such a way that anybody can use it. Um, and and then I think we can bring that blend of you know some data scientist skills, but actually most of the benefit is being executed out in the field with people who don't need to be data scientists. Thank you very much. Marty Groover, I'm coming around the table to you. We have time for one or two more statements around the table. Really good conversation, gentlemen. Marty, I'm looking at statement number two, and uh, this may be a little controversial. You say digital transformation is a buzzword that has infiltrated the marketplace and really lost meaning due to its overuse. We talk to companies about business transformation that merges three things, people, process, and technology to yield improved business outcomes. How overused is it? Does pe- do people even know what it is or is it passe, Marty? Is every, every company sort of, kind of, maybe done their digital transformation? Is there a company alive that hasn't come into the digital age? Marty, give us an overview and then we'll see what Martin and Patrick have to say. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I, one of the funny statements, I, I, we've been digital since the 80s, right? I mean, the transformation mm-hmm. is nonstop. The, set, the third uh, industrial revolution was all about that digital transformation. So I, I hate that word, to be honest with you. I, when you see people use it these days, you'll see customers roll their eyes because they've heard it so much. 
So when we go in and talk to customers, we don't even want to talk about digital stuff. What do you want to talk about is business transformation. How do we really mm. look at your process? Because if you have a crappy process and you put digital stuff on it, you just got a crappy digital process, right? I mean, it didn't change. It didn't shift the curve, so to speak. So we really look at how do we merge people, process, and technology into a common operational picture and think about those capabilities that we want to have. For instance, I want to be able to have the material handling equipment automatically tracked to my factory so I know how long it takes to do each run and what materials on that piece of handling equipment and when's it going to be here. Things like that. So we try to talk to our customers and capabilities, and then how do I take – they don't really care how they get that necessarily that capability, but they know if they could have that capability, it would improve their business. Then we take and transform their business process uh, with the technology to get those outcomes by merging those things together into one common version of the truth system that, uh, that drives improved business outcomes, and whether it's improved cycle times, uh, reduce lead times, uh, less downtime due to maintenance, uh, unknown failures, things like that. All those things uh, is the transformation that you're looking for. Thank you very much. Martin Stanzik, join us. Interesting. What about this transformation? Do you think digital transformation, and by the way, gentlemen, I still get confused over the use of digitization versus digitalization. I've been told there's a big <laughs> difference, and most people are using digitalization more than digitization. Yeah. Martin Stanzig, what do we say or don't yeah. we say it anymore? What do you think? At the end of the day, just stay real and take the buzzwords out. Is what, what Thank we're you. For. Our Australian subsidiary actually has a has a buzzword um, buzzword fine. So with every buzzword you're throwing out there, you're paying you're buying or you're paying five bucks into into uh, into a pod. So no, I really agree with Marty. I love it. Take the buzzword out. Let's take the buzzword out. Let's make it real for the customer. And that's really what it comes down to. Uh, what we usually try to do with with companies is to sort of take them into status quo, what are you doing today, um, and then take the business process into what this business process should look like once you have it optimized. And optimized can mean simple things as make the data, make the master data better. But, you know, when we're drilling into how can we do those, those basic things, uh, we very often today have new technologies that can help us with making it much, much more efficient. So, when we look at business processes overall, we can sometimes see not just a 2 to 3% improvement, but a 10 to 20% overall mm-hmm. improvement in efficiencies. And that is what resonates with a customer. It's not the buzzword bingo of, you know, you throw any given buzzword out there that we can, we can talk about. It's the, you know, what does it really mean to my business, to my bottom line, to my profit margin, and or to the threat to my business if I don't do it? Because what we have is, I mean, look at the Ubers of this world. They changed the the taxi market holistically. So I firmly believe if there's somebody out there that has a lot of money and wants to start over in the enterprise asset management space and would just take these new technologies to come up with more efficient processes, they could revolutionize the market. So the good news mm-hmm. for the for our space is that it hasn't happened yet. Um, but I'm always fearful for my customers that somebody that, you know, has the financial means, we'll do that. And at that point in time, we're going to better catch up quickly. So that's sort of the, the situation I think we find ourselves in. But uh, agreeing totally with Marty as let's make this real for customers. Let's take the buzzwords out 
be it, you know, industry product or digitization, digital transformation, you name it, and, and make it applicable and real to the business process that we find in our in the companies today. Thank you very much. Patrick, we have time for you to chime in on this, and I'm going to ask Marty Groover to set up, get ready for your 60-second crystal ball prediction after this. Patrick, what are your thoughts on buzzwords in the Industry 4.0 world? What do you think? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, without using any of those buzzwords, which are beyond my intellect anyway, actually. (laughs) Um, Stop! What what it is, there is this uh, world that comes together of improvements that are enabled by technology versus enabled by business process change. And then each of those is also an inhibitor, right? I I can't adopt the technology or I can't adopt the change. So you have to find that uh, magic point in the middle. And very often, actually, it's the business process change that is just as hard, right? Especially if you're collaborating across networks with different people. So we, we increasingly see... You know, companies trying to bring value-added services to their customers or, or customers demanding more value-added services from their suppliers before they make a purchase decision, for example, on an asset or whatever. Um, and so, that, you know, actually change business change across boundaries is the toughest. And so I, I think that's, uh, that's part of this uh, sort of change management story as we go through digital transformation. And in the end, you've just got to be outcome-based. You've got to really... Focus mm-hmm. on the outcome, what's the business benefit, and uh, like Martin was saying, and then link that to the enablers under the cover. And some of those enablers have actually been there for years, and some of them are on new technology. Um, and definitely don't just digitize necessarily your existing process unless such automation provides a big outcome. You know, so. Thank you very much. Great around the table. Marty Groover, you're up first. I can give you 60 seconds, but you'll probably take 90 seconds, and that's okay for your crystal ball prediction. What are we going to see between now and let's say let's gear toward 2025, which actually is four years and nine months away. Uh, What do you think will change about this concept of intelligent assets, about IoT sensors, about real-time data, about skill upskilling in terms of having more data scientists who will work and be affordable for factories and across the supply chain? I'm not leading the witness here, Marty, just giving you some ideas. Marty Groover, (laughs) 60 Seconds Predictions, go! Yeah, I think that in the next four or five years, all this equipment will be fully connected and fully self-monitored, uh, and it will actually go to self-healing. And I think that's where it's going to have to go. These systems will automatically detect the problem and fix themselves as much as they can. I think you're going to see a lot of capability go into uh, the software that it can drive uh, self-healing actions. Thank you very much. Like that a lot. Martin Stenzig, I can get, oh, I can give you 90 seconds because Marty Groover was so <laughs> concise. Martin, we're having a sale on predictions times here. Take your 90 seconds and enjoy them. Go ahead, Martin Stenzig. <laughs> I will, I will try it in 60. Um, in line with what Marty says, I firmly believe that suppliers of equipment will, will have to deliver not just the physical equipment in the next five to 10 years, but the digital equipment with it. What is that? Um, we believe that, you know, initially on the small scale, you want, you know, all the information. What is the weight of the equipment? What is the performance specs of the equipment with it? But then going further, um, you know, if I, if I have certain sensor information, provide us the models that allow me to predict um, the equipment's behavior as well. So that is what we're defining uh, in our organization as a digital twin. And I firmly believe that, A, 
um, companies should start asking for that from their equipment manufacturers. Uh, equipment manufacturers have a lot of that, but at the moment they're not obviously freely delivering that because nobody, the customers, you know, the companies are not paying for it. So um, I believe it's going there where, you know, holistically, um, if I am a, a company that wants to buy an equipment, I will ask for the physical equipment and the digital equipment um, jointly, and I will will acknowledge that I have to pay a little bit more, um, but it will become um, the common standard in the industry that, you know, it's physical and digital equipment, not just the physical anymore. Thank you, Patrick Crampton. Thomas, I have ooh, just about 65 seconds for your prediction. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so I'm not sure this is such an adventurous industry that five years will dramatically change as much as mm. we might think. But I do see that a huge amount of – there will be a big shift in revenue potential, value potential from uh, value-added services on top of products. So it's not just about the asset. I think increasingly it's about the digital services that people sell on top, and that's actually going to drive new revenue streams for suppliers and new opportunities for savings and benefits for operators of of assets. And and I think that perhaps is one of the bigger shifts we're going to see. And as part of that, we want to connect those assets, and we want to make that automation usable by our new workforce who may not, you know, might be younger, may not have the skills. They may not even be data scientists. So we need to enable that automation in the business processes for them so that things are easy to uh, to manage and, uh, and use. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, what a pleasure speaking with all three of you. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. We never know exactly where we're going to go, but we had plenty of places. That's why we get your discussion statements in advance. I want to do a big thank you to Richard Howells is supposed to be on vacation. You all know that, right? He is tweeting and tweeting and tweeting all morning long. I'm following him. I think he's following the show. We're tweeting and retweeting. So Richard Howells, wherever you are, go take your vacation and stop working for a little bit and thank you for being the sponsor of this show thank you also to Bob Merlot and Mindy Davis for helping to put this episode together thank you to my engineer extraordinaire the man with the nerves of steel Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio the business channel at voiceamerica.com and here's my call to action Fasten your seatbelt. I really want to know if we're going to get designer seatbelts one of these days or make-for-me seatbelts. That'd be fun. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Marty Groover at C5MI, just like Martin Stanzig at Rising with a Z, and just like Patrick Crampton Thomas at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham in the house. Bonnie D. Graham leaving the house. Talk to you soon. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.